0: Welcome to Conversation Mill. My name is Rebecca Dale and I am the host of the show. I have a passion for sharing how the creation of thriving local economies benefits us all. I'm fascinated by how we come together to form our communities on a macro and micro scale and how our histories and stories when shared can not only motivate and inspire but can facilitate understanding. As our communities, large and small, bring back a more progressive Main Street, individuals are stepping out to pursue their passions and local leaders are pushing back against corporate greed. It's time to engage these community leaders and small business owners in conversation. What are the driving forces behind their courage and success? And how can we continue to build communities that embrace diversity, support the local economy, and create a healthy ecosystem for the culture at large. Join us now in conversation. There is so much in the last episode that Kelly and I touched on that I would encourage you to go listen to part one if you have not, or go back and do a quick refresh. There is much to explore and learn about from our first episode. But in this second episode, we're going to build on that and talk about food security and why this should be top of mind for all of our communities, not just islands, but in this conversation we speak directly about what is and is not being done already here on Maui. I would challenge each of you to look at the food in your pantry and refrigerator and figure out how much of it comes within a walking distance of where you live. For most of us, that percentage is pretty small. Now imagine being on an island where upwards of 90% of the food is being shipped in. If there is no food security, catastrophe happens. Consider supporting a local farmer by buying local. This Earth Day... Pacific Biodiesel will be hosting a sunflower festival to raise money and awareness for a new initiative they are launching to help support those taking action to ensure food security. To join in the festivities here on their farm in Maui, you can check out the links in the show notes to purchase tickets. Now join us in conversation as we learn more about food security. I want to ask you if I'm someone listening in the Midwest continental USA, and I'm listening to what you're saying, and I'm like, I want that here. We have tons of farm fields, and we're just spraying pesticides on them. Everyone's using diesel. I want to start something here. Where should they start? They should start by watching the film Kiss the Ground. Um, That has some
1: really exciting information in there, and it shows a traditional farmer, changing his farm over to gender farming mm-hmm. and being more successful you know having better crops and making more money and you know just mitigating some of the issues he had w- with traditional farming uh, so that's a good start and a lot of people who saw that film asked me you know hey have you seen this film <laughs> like well yeah I mean actually Woody Harrelson narrated that film and he narrated the film about us too the, um, uh, Revolution Green mm-hmm. um, so I was you know the first thing when I saw the the uh, trailer for that I texted him and you know him and his wife and they said hey I just saw the trailer it's amazing because I was just thinking you know I hope people aren't giving up hope Mm -hmm. for being able to get here and then here's this film that gives you you know gives him hope and it wasn't a giant farm but that's what we're trying to do is take those concepts and expand on it it was you know I don't know can't remember how many acres it was Uh, but that's an area to go in there's the, the um when I was on the council we and we put in a charter amendment that got passed to create a county department of agriculture Mm -hmm. for this reason, to look into regenerative agriculture, not to mandate it, but to start to have a a grant section where we have, I think there's two grant grants people in there to, to try to figure out what grants are available to people, how they could help people write grants. They're probably gonna have to do some grant training because farmers don't, don't have time and don't know how to do this kind of thing. But that, that, hopefully will be that just started at the beginning of this fiscal year which was july 1st so we're hoping that that becomes a department that's going to fill in a lot of the holes for people that will be a place that they can go because we haven't had good we haven't had really good uh um, service from our state department of agriculture and it's really hard because they're not fully staffed and they don't they can't you know be across every county when we need them we have a great um NRCS office here and I would encourage folks to go talk to Jason Hugh over there in Kahului at that office because they will fund cover crops and that's one of the things that we've been doing over here putting in cover crops things mm-hmm. like sun hemp which is not hemp it's a totally different plant and um and then turning it in for the nitrogen fixing sure. and and um they will pay um, farmers to put in cover crops. They've helped us with funding with our pivots. And so they will help with funding with equipment that helps get you to, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of farming. And, um, but a lot of people, farmers, I, I, and I, I always tell farmers this every time I run into them or I speak at a, you know, farmer mentoring meeting or something, is go check out the resources are here. And they don't really even have time. They're so busy. You know, they're, they run lean and mean. They don't have yeah. a lot of extra hands sitting around. We're, we're a biodiesel company that got into farming, so we do have... You know, we have an accounting division, and we do have a marketing division, so we have we can have people that look into these things, but the average farmer doesn't. And so we need to grow that. We have several groups that are doing farmer training that are trying to bring in that component, the marketing component, mm-hmm. you know, the technology component, and that's going to get bigger and better as we, you know, matriculate more into um, an agriculture community like we used to be at one yeah. time. Getting back into agriculture through local farmers is really yeah. the, re, the way to do it. Because I've had people tell me, and I almost had a friend say this the other day, and I almost slapped him upside the head. But, you know, oh, anything under five acres is a garden. And I just got so offended by that. No, I mean, a farmer, if a farmer is farming one acre and growing food for the farmer's market or whatever, he's a farmer yeah. or he, she's a farmer. A garden is in your backyard. Yeah. <laughs> I have three gardens at my house. I know the difference between a garden and a farm. And so you know we have to we have to start with what rather than trying to bring some big entity in and that's why people are there's a bit of a pushback against mahi pono because it's a canadian entity coming right. in here trying to do things in a big way and saying they're going to grow food for us and then starting with limes and coffee that's
0: not food for local people I was just going to say that with fields of Citrus trees, and- yeah,
1: and so we're so what we need to do is start with what we have, which is we do have a lot of local farmers we're trying to grow that inventory of local farmers and local farms and then build those up, and that's how the money gets stays in the economy. That's how the money goes back to the people who live here and work here so it it might take a little bit longer, it might be a little bit harder, but it's much more sustainable yes. than doing something huge that could disappear just as quickly as it gets here uh, so that's my big push is like how can we? Grow the people who are doing, um, who are farming. How can we grow the, um, the inventory of farmers and bring in younger people? By Mm -hmm. the way, because we all hear that the average age of a farmer in Hawaii is 60. And by the way, my husband and I are both over 60. (laughs) But when we started bringing in people to help us farm the biofuel crop, the biodiesel crop, we got Three farmers under thirty years old, yeah. I and mean, I was telling you know people in the state we probably lowered your average age with just <laughs> these three people because they're so young, yeah. and we're getting younger people interested mm-hmm. because it's connected to technology. It's their future fuels. It's something really exciting and different for them than just growing tomatoes and lettuce and you know which we all need. I mean, right. we need ulu and taro. We need everything, but bringing young people into farming for the biofuel um, the issue and the technology um, learning that we all need to do is, I think, much more um, attractive than trying to bring them in to grow food. But then they'll get into farming, yep. and then they get excited about growing food. You know, just like, come for the biodiesel, you right. know, stay for stay for the, uh, the food hub.
0: Yeah. Well, that's such a great point, because if we want to keep the lights on and if we want to keep technology working we're going to have to start being self-sufficient also i think younger generations and i'll just speak for myself but we see the conflicts that arise from trying to negotiate with other countries for fuels right for food supplies um how conflicts that we're not involved in per se, at the start of the Russia-Ukraine mm-hmm. war. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, now we're, we're concerned about wheat and fertilizer and certain types of woods and things that are coming from Ukraine that we have that now that supply chain is cut off, where those might not be vital things, it, you know, might not impact our survival per se. But when we get too comfortable relying on those things, if we don't know how to make them here, or we don't change those trade relations to things that are sustainable and beneficial for all of us, we're looking at the world going, is there going to be a world for us when we're retirement age? Or is there going to be a world left to hand down when we're fighting about fossil fuels, when we could all just be planting sunflowers and finding a better way?
1: Well, we need to start, I think it starts with educating our our students, our young people and that's why I created that youth council, um, last my last year in the council. It was amazing. These high school kids that came and sat in our seats and deliberated on their mm-hmm. own resolutions that they had written and they looked like they belonged there and they were not nervous. They were comfortable and they were like, We're you know, this is what we need to do, determine our own future. Mm-hmm. But the it comes down to teaching kids, you know, where does your milk come from? And I remember, you know, my son-in-law who has, a, you know, uh, he got his undergrad degree in agriculture on, at UH Hilo, saying he was actually arguing with one of his friends, you know, at the grocery store about milk because, he, the, you know, the guy was like roast out by almond milk. And he goes, well, yours comes from a cow. And he's like, no, it doesn't. It comes from the grocery store. I mean, oh. to have somebody who's in their early 20s still think that, Milk comes from a grocery store and doesn't, you know, if we don't understand where our food comes from in the basic form, you know, where where does your bread come from? Mm-hmm. The grocery store that's now charging $10 a loaf for bread, you know, do you know that you could grow, um, you could grow ulu here and you could make flour. It makes the most amazing pancakes I've ever had. The first time someone gave me ulu flour, I was like, I can't even believe this. Yeah. And I had... I made pancakes and we had local macadamia nuts with local honey. I mm. mean, just like all the things that we could do here that are better. And I was in a meeting, uh, kind of a high-level meeting about climate change and uh, with some, I can't remember what group it was because i have been so many meetings the last few months. But somebody was talking about trying to find a way to pose the, the problem uh, without talking about the sacrifices, because we're going to have to make such sacrifices. And I said, and that's the problem. It's not that we have to make sacrifices. It's us thinking that those are sacrifices. Yeah. And the first thing we used to say this in the beginning of the biodiesel industry is, you know, what do you have to change? Because you don't, you know, it would run in any diesel engine, you don't have to change anything but your mind, yeah. change your mind, stop thinking in terms of conventional ways, we've already done always done things. And think about the ways we could be doing things that are healthier, that are better for the environment, that you know maybe will even put more money in your pocket, and get out of that mindset that we're all stuck on running, you know, petroleum cars. Right. We're all stuck on getting our food at the grocery store. We're all, you know, we think about the in the most basic form all the things that are out there that could be replaced. I did a, a talk about uh, biodiesel. I was asked, and um, I know it was last year sometime, to, to speak at the Lahaina Rotary. And the week before I was, I had an eye appointment. And I went, you know, I had to get my eyes checked because I need to update my glasses. So I went to pick out a pair of glasses and I found this whole display of plant based resin glasses. So I ordered one of those. And, I, and then the, two days later, I'm giving this presentation at the Rotary Club. When I got to Q and A, one of the questions was, "Well, if we do away with petroleum, you know, all of our plastics are made with petroleum. So what are we going to do?" And I'm like, "There are so many plant-based. I didn't have my glasses yet, unfortunately, they hadn't come in yet. But I said I just ordered, you know, uh, mm-hmm. some glasses that are made out of plant-based resin. Anything we make out of petroleum, any plastic, any." cosmetic we can make out of plant-based materials and they're going to be healthier for us, mm-hmm. um, The especially cosmetics and things you're putting on your body. That, and that's the idea of this is not really sacrifice. Right. You know, We should be proactive. We should be excited about these changes mm-hmm. because now we're getting back to a world where everybody can have a part in the economy. Everybody can make something or grow something or do something that makes a difference that um, maybe even makes a job yeah. for them. So my, you know, the bottom line is everybody can make a living instead of a few people making a killing. You know, that's my big mantra right now is like, get back to, we don't have to have big bucks to survive in this world, Mm -hmm. you know, especially when you can grow all your own food in your backyard garden. We don't have to be, you know, we have to change the idea of what success is. Because right now success is monetary and it's about power. Mm -hmm. If you have money and power, you're successful. Well, success should be about what you contribute to the community, and what you're giving back, and what you're building in the community for the community and for the future generations. If we can start thinking about that as success, and make those people our super superstars, and feature the average farmer who really believes in what he's doing and has decided to get off of pesticides, yeah. you know, something, someone like that um, that we we're not necessarily celebrating as much as basketball stars or movie stars that we give. You know, that make all this big money. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see, I think, a lot of, because a lot of those people do care about what happens. And that's why you see celebrities getting involved. Yeah. In the early days of biodiesel, there were a lot of celebrities that jumped on board. And we started the Sustainable Biodiesel Alliance, our national nonprofit, to try to focus on sustainably produced biodiesel. And I started that with um, Annie Nelson, Annie and Willie Nelson, and Daryl Hannah. And then it grew from there. It was, I think, after 10 years it faded out because all the small biodiesel plants we were trying to help were getting bought out by the big guys and sure. they were just caving because they didn't have a choice. They weren't making money. Right. And so anyway that I had somebody ask me at one point, you know, what is the big draw of celebrities? I go, There's no big draw. They're they're being drawn to the issue. They're I mean, celebrities are no different than other people as far as mm-hmm. them caring about the earth. They just might happen to have more money and more stature so they could spread the word faster. Right. And yeah, I mean Willie would go on Letterman and talk about biodiesel. Yeah. And, you know, he called it vegetable oil and I was trying to get him not to do that. <laughs> but, you know, he was our, one of, our biggest know. fan and he's still a partner in Pacific Biodiesel. So there's still, um, there's that intrinsic understanding that's not just about investing in a company. It's what does this company mean? What are they doing for the planet and for people? And how is it going to perpetuate into other areas? Mm-hmm. So Pacific biodiesel, because now we got into agriculture, you can't really just grow something for biodiesel. You have to have other high-value co-products. And then we started getting into culinary oils, and now we're food and fuel. Mm-hmm. And, and this was a big, also back in the mid-2000s, there was a, a big campaign food versus fuel that was started by you know when when, when actually Senator Grassley in Iowa was the one that looked into it and he said he found the notes and there was a it was a an alliance between the grocery manufacturers of America and the petroleum industry trying to blame the high price of food on something besides the price of petroleum that had gone up and the grocery manufacturers not wanting to be blamed for you know sticking right. big money in their pockets and so they created this whole campaign of food versus fuel which is so false because most people who are going to grow um, something for biofuels are going to do something for food too. But it's we're not going to grow it to we're not going to displace food that's already you know a crop that's already being grown. Right. So for many years, my message every time I would do a presentation was you know I bring up the food versus fuel and say if you grow something like sunflower or safflower or canola, and you have food and fuel that you can make out of it, and maybe at some point we have, something happens to our ports. And we decide, okay, we're not going to crush these sunflower seeds for oil. We're going to make them into food. Mm-hmm. And we make the decision as a community, um, okay, rather than drive and starve, we're going to eat and walk. Yeah. You know, and I think we'll make that right decision because yeah. no one wants to starve to death, right? Yeah. Um, and But if we don't have those kinds of crops, we don't have that flexibility. If we only grow things that can't be made into food, right? we don't even have that choice to make. You know, and and the crops, as you know, they get set up for one thing and it's really hard to change
0: mm-hmm. into something
1: else. I mean, we, we thought when we first got into this idea of biofuel crops that we would get farmers to start growing some of these things like sunflower, safflower, some of the things that we wanted to see grown for biodiesel, they don't change that easily. And then we realized we're going to have to do it ourselves, at least at first. We're going to have to show them how to do this. And that's when we got our first federal funding back in 2010. And, you know, we've been building up the biodiesel market and everything over the last decade. And now the fiscal sponsors we have, which are the Army Corps of Engineers, are really excited to be working with us again on the next biofuel crop to get us to that next level. Which I'm excited about because back then in 2010, there wasn't a big push on regenerative agriculture. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what we would have possibly ended up with might not have been what we're going to end up with today because of what we know about how we should be farming.
0: Kind of pivoting to that farming piece, you guys have an Earth Day concert coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about that Earth Day concert and what is that? benefiting this year? What's the initiative behind that? Okay. Well, the original initiative
1: last year was, of course, the war in Ukraine, and everybody just wanted to do something. So we just yeah. created this thing really quickly, and, you know, thanks to joy, our marketing director. It actually came to fruition because it turned from a three-hour event that I was trying to just do really quickly to this all-day festival, uh, because everybody wanted to play in it. Everybody yeah. was, was trying to figure out what can we do to help from, you know, our little island, and everybody wanted to be a part of it. Um, So we decided to do the same thing this year. But part of what happened during that phase of that initial phase of the war and Ukraine being shut down was they are major exporters of sunflower oil. And that's kind of why we did it, because they grow sunflowers over there. And we thought we should do something that's kind of relatable. And we were getting calls for tanker loads of sunflower oil because they couldn't come from Ukraine. Wow. And we were like, well, we have sunflower oil, but not tanker foods. <laughs> we're selling locally to the restaurants and the chefs over here. And we're not, you know, we're doing, you know, 30 acres at a time. So as we get into bigger, you know, this bigger thousand acre project, we might be able to, to provide something like that. But that's kind of what got us into this mode of thinking, you know, everything's connected to food too. Mm-hmm. And so this year when we decided to, Start earlier and actually do a a, a deliberate <laughs> sunflower festival um you know Joy started looking around and to see what you know what we could be connected with as far as farming It should be a farming event because otherwise we can't do it without a permit because you're allowed to do farm tours and farmers' markets on eggs on land um and and we landed on the food hub issue and so we started talking to um to Saleh Azizi on um, Oahu, who runs the Hawaii food hub HUI, which is the HUI that kind of helps out all of the food hubs in you know, all the counties. So that's okay. the overarching organization. And we have two food hubs on Maui that are part of that. Um, overall, I think there's 14 food hubs. And this is the crux of getting getting farmers' produce or output to the market. without that you know without them having to do something without them having to sit at a farmer's market all day long you know once a once a week without them having to knock on grocery store doors and only getting 15 percent of their you know of, of the profit and so the food hubs that bring the food that you know, you can get on the Maui Food Hub website mm-hmm. and you can order what you want for the next week, and then they have a grocery. They they have several pickup points around the county, and you can go pick up your grocery bag full of stuff. But it's different than the original model that started years ago, which was I can't even remember the acronym, but it was a model where you would just sign up for a service that would bring you a bag of or a couple bags of groceries a couple times a month okay and whatever they were growing sure it was coming from the farm and whatever they were growing so i mean i the first time i signed up for that my second order was one whole grocery bag full of fennel i went what do i do with a grocery bag full of fennel i don't even (laughs) use fennel in my cooking but the food hub you order what you want and our sunflower oil is is on that list as well so you can order local sunflower oil and then all your food will be delivered to you they have they have on their website, they have a list of all the foods that are available that week from all the farmers that they deal with in the county, and then you have your choice of what you want. So it's a great way for um, you to pick up exactly what you want. It's all fresh. You're for supporting local farmers. And it's a great for the way for the local farmers to get. They're getting now. I think the food hub takes ten or fifteen percent for admin, and they get the profit. So that's what it was Perfect. set up for is to really help with um, get getting people used to, and it, and, it, and it happened to start out during the pandemic. Yeah. I really got strong during the pandemic because people were used to this anyway. They were used to calling up and ordering what they wanted. I mean, normally it would come to your door, but you know, you go to Target and pick up, you just put it in the back of your truck sure. and pick up your stuff. And so that was a great segue into starting to grow these food hubs and so we're trying to build on that we're trying to get um money for the um, food hubs they have a laundry list they're trying to raise three million dollars this year they have a laundry list of things that are needed on each island for the food hubs like equipment some of it might be staffing but most of it like refrigerated storage trucks things like that um and a storage area maybe a warehouse and so um you know, we're a third of the way there because they already got a commitment from a mainland organization foundation that's committed a million dollars to their efforts, and we've gotten a, a little bit more interest because of this Sunflower Festival. There's a couple of other big funders that are looking at putting in big money, so our dream would be to try to get all $3 million funded as quickly as possible so they could actually do the work and not yeah. work, focus so much on fundraising. And yeah. I think people will come out because it's it, it, people understand the importance of of uh, food and farmers and food security. We talk about food security a lot. And this is really, this food hub project is really going to move the needle, Mm -hmm. but it's not just going to move the needle in terms of how much food is produced locally, how much of that money goes back into the pockets of farmers and keeps people growing, keeps people farming.
0: Right. And when money goes in the pocket of farmers, farmers are living in our community that then patronize your restaurant or your right. barbershop or what, whatever it may be, put, whatever your small business is. Put their kids through school. and they're Exactly. Gonna pay, you know, I
1: mean, so many people have kids in private school these days, but you know, there's yeah. just, there's money that goes back into the community. we put, I, I wish we had an, you know, just a list of how much we've donated to over the 28 years that we've been in business because we're trying to become more visible in the community too. And we want people to understand and to kind of be inspired by here's what you could do beyond what you're really what you're doing in your business too Mm -hmm.
0: is there any i guess tidbits you can tell us about what the you're calling it sunflower festival and it'll be on earth day correct and do we have any i don't want to ruin any surprises if it's not announced yet but do we know any guests or performers that might be well, we're working on um, that list, so we're okay. probably
1: going to be releasing that in the next week or two. Okay. But we also, just because I had um, somebody who works in television production that I've been talking to, he wants to do a docuseries on some of the oh, stuff great. that we're doing. And I mentioned to him that we were, you know, a couple weeks ago, we were looking for a headliner. So he, he's he been shopping that around. But he, he you know what's interesting is that we're supposed to have a meeting with him this morning, but it got pushed to this afternoon. He's got somebody he wanted to run by us that he... He's got as a uh, big name. <clears throat> but the interesting thing is just in talking to people about this, people are really interested in what we're doing here in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And I think it resonates with um, with folks who are maybe high profile, who want to help out with this kind of thing, because everything we do in Hawaii can be measured yes. because we're so separate from the rest of the country. It's hard to do something in California and not know what's coming across the border from Arizona or Oregon sure. or, you know, how much of it is actually being done by Californians for Californians. And that's what we're trying to do here in Hawaii. And it's very measurable. So we can, we can say, yes, we've had this much success. Mm-hmm. What well, we haven't measured yet. And what, what, different folks are working on we just had a meeting yesterday with nasa harvest or saturday with the nasa harvest students that are doing the first inventory of what's being grown on all these farms and small farms especially because when we talk about food security we're looking at the when the grocery stores get empty shelves you know when the food stops flowing and it's not they don't they haven't really inventoried all the backyard gardens all the small farms all of the feral animals that are running around the island. I mean, we eat venison at least once a week yeah. because of you know we let the farmers come in and hunt on our land, and so there are sixty thousand head of axis deer on this island. That's a lot of food that mm-hmm. hasn't been calculated, uh, because we have to get to the point where you know in order to be sold into the restaurants and the grocery stores, it has to be USDA certified. That's a really expensive proposition. But meanwhile, you know, there's the sustenance hunting and gathering and fishing that is by right a native Hawaiian. Um, you know, they, they can do that. They're supposed to be able to do that almost anywhere. And so they can trade food back and forth. And there's a lot of that going on, mm-hmm. especially with how delicious our venison is here. It's the best eating venison in the world. Yeah, It doesn't taste gamey. People think, oh, it's going to be gamey. It's not. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times, a lot of the foods that we make out of it, you wouldn't even know if it was pork or venison or beef because of the way we cook it and the, the fact that, I guess because of what these deers are eating, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so So that's... That was a large um, part of what we're doing and why we're getting so much interest from our local um, our local musicians and mm-hmm. artisans who want to be a part of this. And now it's spreading to the mainland now that they start hearing about what we're trying to do in Hawaii.
0: Yeah.
1: We are also set up to be an example for other island nations. Sure. And that's why I was invited to be a part of, on the board of ICLE USA, which is the global organization's part. They're always partners in the COP conference of the parties the global climate conferences so i've gone to the last two and just talking about some of the initiatives that we've been doing on maui has gotten maui to the forefront now everybody's looking at maui as setting an example on environmental protection you know advancing regenerative agriculture protecting our ecosystems and things like that so the the message it could start here but There are a lot of island nations that are facing sea level rise. In fact, um, Kiribati is already planning their demise and they're already planning their exit, um, in the next 30 years. Wow. Uh, I don't know how you do that because they want to, they know they have to be gone in 30 years because they're they're all flat, right? They're all practically underwater. Yeah. And, um... And how do you keep people there long enough to keep the economy going before they all just... To plan. Leave? A, yeah, yeah, to plan for a 30-year exodus. Yeah. That's got to be... And so we have to start now here. We have to start thinking about things like the North Kihei Road, right? Yeah. We've got to reroute that. And that, I'm on the Kihei Community Association board now. So that was one of my um, discussion points when we started talking about what should we ask the legislature to fund this year. And it's amazing because we, that was on our wish list of our top three items is to start designing that road yeah. and they're already working on it. Good. So congratulations to the state legislature to, yeah. for, you know, being ahead of the curb for once and realizing, you know, in the next 10 years we've got to move that road or it's going to be underwater. So looking at, you know, going from what we can do here to what we can be an example with for other island nations, especially in the, in the Pacific, I think that's captured the attention of a lot of people who worry about food security.
0: Yeah. And it's, I think the pandemic was a good wake up call for island nations that if ports get shut down and the food can't get there and it's not grown in your backyard, figuratively or literally, there's going to be some major issues. And I I love what you said about the inventorying of what's being grown, because that's the issue with if you're just monocropping and you're like this was all sugarcane before. If it now all becomes citrus trees, we can't survive on just lemons or limes or oranges. Right. We need to be able to have vegetables that that are a protein and that that provide that diversity and nutrition as well,
1: yeah. And that's why I made a big push when I was on the council a few years ago to start funding these programs that will help people set up backyard gardens and help small farmers uh, help farmers get trained on how to farm. I mean, it's just as valuable to get trained and realize you don't want to farm as it yeah. is to get trained and realize you do because we don't want people wasting their time too if they just can't do that work, right? So um, now we have several programs that are mentoring um, farmers and pairing them up with farms like ours that where they can learn a lot more and they can start to understand that it is a business, that they are entrepreneurs, I mean, we had a former mayor who would come to some of these graduations for the FAM program and tell people, farming's so hard, well, I don't know why you would want to do it. I mean, I don't know why you would say that. But, you know, I came. I was asked to speak at the next one. I said, yeah, if you let me go on before the mayor. And, I, and my my message to them was, if this is your passion, then you think you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. And, you know, we've been there and we've been... During times when we thought we were everything was going to go under, we were going to lose our shirts because we had everything leveraged of ours personally, and things worked out. We worked through it. We we stayed with this despite even our own friends telling us it's not going to last. So that's mm-hmm. a cute idea, but it's not really realistic. So you've got to be passionate about what you do, and you've got to be able to, to expect losses and and to to go through those losses and realize there has to be a, a backup plan, right? Um, but I said don't ever let anybody tell you it's too hard or you can't do it. Yeah. It may be too hard for them. I looked over at the mayor. <laughs> but if it's your passion, then you should do it. Yep. And you'll find ways and you'll find people who want to help you and there are organizations out there that have grants or have assistance, monetary assistance. You just have to partner with other people who are using these channels. And and it's funny because I there was one gal who was taking notes and and left the room and then came back in and she said okay, I started already. I'm starting now. <laughs> she told me after I finished <laughs> talking, she's just like, that was, you know, that you're right. I have to, it's not just a job. It's mm-hmm. a business. Yeah. And so you have to think of yourself as an entrepreneur and mm-hmm. how de- the most dedicated entrepreneurs aren't going to let a few setbacks keep them from doing what they know is a good thing.
0: Exactly. When do Earth Day concert tickets go on sale? Or We're going to
1: start March 1st, we're going to have them on sale, and so there'll be an announcement probably right before then of who the headliners are going to be. But honestly, you know, we went back and forth, and, you know, I had put out an ask to Jack Johnson, and unfortunately, he's busy. I mean, that's Jack's – he yeah. lives for Earth Day, so of course he has things already planned even <laughs> yeah. a year ahead of time. But they were kind of bummed. He was, you know, I heard from his wife, and she's like, huh, oh, I'm so sorry we can't do that. But, you know, in the end, this is not about a headliner or right. a name. I mean, we want somebody – you know, big to come in and attract people. But this is really about the cause. And I was, I was going through, um, we were panicking, like, who are we going to get? And I was going through a list of nonprofit events that are happening this year. And I I noticed one of them was $300 a ticket. And there was not even a mention of what the entertainment was. Sure. You know, and so that's, that's, I was telling my team, that's how we have to think about this. This is about the cause. Mm -hmm. Everybody eats, everybody's going to need food at some point. Everybody's going to be hungry at some point if we don't build up our mm-hmm. our um, food hubs and our supplies of local farmers and our um, expansion of what they're farming and how they're farming it. Everybody's connected to this issue. So really it's about the issue more than it is about the concert. The concert's there for us to all appreciate Earth Day and get together and celebrate. But we also are raising money. The, the, the main point of this is to raise money for the food hubs mm-hmm. to grow what we know is – sustainable, a sustainable pathway to food security.
0: And I I think it's important too for people to remember, we're not all farmers, right? It might not be your passion to be a farmer. Maybe you have a job that keeps you busy where you're working 12 hour days. And so some of these other volunteer opportunities or things that you might like to be involved in are hard for you, but you still have a heart and an understanding that we need to change things but you can afford to buy a ticket to a concert and that might be the way you contribute this year right. to making change. That's okay. I think sometimes yeah. we get so bogged down in, oh, I have to go volunteer. I have to start a farmer. I got to plant it myself or do it myself. We're not all meant to do that. We all have our roles. And if your role is buying a ticket to a concert to help support the farmers and the people running the food hubs, do that.
1: Yeah. Everybody, if everybody just does a little bit in what, and it doesn't even have to be in the same area. I mean, I remember having a years ago, I had like a 45 minute discussion at an, at the state energy conference with somebody who was really into GMOs and was wanting to interview me and asking me why, why I wasn't more involved. I said, "Uh, what do you drive on? And he started, get, you know, he was all embarrassed because he had this clunky old gas car. And I'm like, "That's what I'm working on." Mm-hmm. And I'm not in your face telling you, "Shame on you," that you're driving a gasoline car. But I'm working on trying to set up a system where it'll be easy for you. Yeah. But I'm not out there criticizing everybody who's not on my bandwagon. That's your bandwagon. Everybody's got their thing that they're really passionate about, and everybody does those things. We'll all be better for it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't help to spend energy criticizing somebody else for not being on your particular bandwagon. I'm not, I'm not out there telling people everybody should be farming. Everybody should be have a backyard garden, but hey, you know, I'm offering an opportunity for you to get involved because we all eat in supporting the people who are providing local food, who are a part of our uh, food security system. Mm-hmm. You can come out and support that and and you'll be doing as much as you can you know, from your vantage point to support you know your your future food security. So, to me, it's a it's a it's, the cause is really um, not just a valiant cause, but it's affecting every every one of us whether we know it or not. Yes. Because our food doesn't come from the grocery store. The food got to the grocery store from somebody else's farm somewhere else. And if we want to keep supporting mainland cafos or you know um, uh, mass uh, corporate farming. Then keep buying your food at the grocery store. You know, if you want to support local farmers, go through the food hub, or at least when you go to the grocery store, look for the the section yeah. that says local. So you know, it's interesting. We when we first got into this whole issue was when my husband was the chair of the state environmental council back in the you know the two thousands, and the chair um, picks the the yearly report. So they okay. would pick a different subject to do a report on. He happened to back then pick food security and self sufficiency. So they did a report, you know, they got, they worked with researchers and then um, did this report. One of the things that they tried to find out that they couldn't was how much acreage would it take to grow enough food for the people of the state of Hawaii and then adding on the tourists that we have here at any given day. And the local farmers said, We don't want to tell you. And the reason they don't want to say is because you can grow a lot of food on an acre of land. So if they came out and told us, for instance, and they didn't give any numbers, but say they came out and they said, oh, you know, 50,000 acres would feed the entire state. All the rest of that land now is up for development. Yeah, and that's what people don't want to see. Yeah. They don't want to see you know us delineate exactly what we need because we don't know if it, where we need it either. Sure, you know we need land on every island so we don't have to be shipping everything even inter-island. But once you start saying those parameters, and so people start thinking, oh, okay, well then I could develop the other two hundred thousand acres. That's scary to you know, and then that happens faster than the farming,
0: right? Mm-hmm. The development
1: because people will swoop in from who don't even live here. And start buying up land, trying to develop. We saw a lot of that during the pandemic, too, as people swooping in and buying houses, sight yeah. unseen, outbidding the local people and moving here to do their, because they could work virtually. And then that price of housing was was going up and up and up.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today, not just about Pacific Biodiesel, but about the upcoming concert and, and about food security I really appreciate what you're doing. And I love that you and Bob are educating so many people through all the different things you're doing from me to you. Thank you so much. I've learned a lot and it's really motivating me to see where I can insert myself. That is my passion and that can help spread the message of what you're doing. Yeah,
1: that's great. Everybody find your niche Mm -hmm. and just do something. (laughs)
0: Thank you so much. All right. Aloha. Thank you to Kelly and the entire Pacific Biodiesel team for being leaders of change when it comes to clean energy and for being guests on the podcast. And for being guests on the podcast. I can't wait to see what the next five to 10 years holds for Pacific Biodiesel. Thank you to Kelly and the entire Pacific Biodiesel team for being leaders of change when it comes to clean energy. Thank you to Kelly for being guest on the podcast. I can't wait to see what the next five to 10 years holds for Pacific Biodiesel. And I'll be looking to you for inspiration and hope. Thank you for being a listener of Conversation Mill. The podcast is growing, but we need your continued support in the form of comments, likes, and subscriptions. If you've enjoyed even one episode, Please take two minutes to comment under the episode or the podcast itself, or rate the podcast. Hitting the subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast helps tremendously. Every like and subscribe helps me support local businesses and local nonprofits by giving them a platform to tell their stories. Together, we can foster the understanding, diversity, and economies that make our individual communities flourish while creating our own community here at Conversation Mill. Also, you can join us at conversationmill.substack.com where you can become a member and receive weekly member-only content, including member-only episodes. I look forward to sharing a new conversation with you next week. And as always, thank you for your support.